0: Hey there, schmism listeners. Uh, this is a special new thing that we're doing. This is just that Faith and I are doing. Um, kind of a, a mini podcast. so that I'll be doing them a bit more often. We can get more podcasts out there. This uh, These will show up in the regular feed with the others. Uh, you don't need to be a subscriber on Patreon to get these. Uh, if it's wildly successful, I might put them behind the paywall. But for now, these will be free episodes. Uh, this is the first one, and we're talking about Well, you'll find out. Enjoy.
1: (laughs) They hate me and I know it's garbage.
0: But I also don't Nevertheless. Have, yeah, nevertheless, I don't have any self-respect.
1: I will persist.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, okay.
1: <clears throat> <clears throat>
0: uh, okay, so this is the first of...
1: Don't worry, guys, we're totally not sick.
0: Yeah, we're but not it sick. It matters,
1: because this is an audio medium.
0: It's an audio medium. <laughs> yeah, you cannot... But we're
1: totally not sick.
0: Also... Like by the time that I actually bother editing this and getting it out, it will have been a while from now. so it <laughs> won't even matter then. Yeah. Um, okay, uh, this is a, a new a new addition to the to the schmism verse uh, to um, as we're working things out. These will be it's very similar to the regular schmisms, but hopefully some of these are shorter. This is like a way to do a lot of these really interesting little things that I don't think have enough about them to make a full episode. But
1: uh, Hopefully they're shorter.
0: Hopefully. This one might not be, just because <laughs> no. it'll be the first one. And it'll be the first one, and it'll also, like, it's also, like, I found a whole academic article about this and read it and put it together. So, okay, so this, what is this, then? This is the, uh, the, the Micronations miniseries microcast thing. Um, so uh, we're going to be talking about Micronations. Um, so that's different... So my, what are micronations? Micronations Micro-nations are, like, little, tiny, tiny countries, um, but not, like, micro-states, not, not the small countries like the Vatican or Liechtenstein or whatever that are recognized, like, UN members or, like, broadly considered sovereign. We're talking about, like, backyard republics that are started by, like, crazy people and artists <laughs> and activists and a lot of scammers. Um <laughs> Uh, So nationhood is a tricky thing to define. Um, Professor of international relations at the European School of Political Science and Social Sciences, Janis Janis Grzborski, I think he's Polish, uh, had this to say, which is about the nature of nationhood, is that the deconstruction of state identifications reveals an essentially empty state Ontology that confronts scholars and practitioners with the predicament of having to ultimately presuppose any particular state's existence or its absence. This not only allows for reflecting on the stakes of individual assessments, but also shows how all state identifications inevitably reproduce the hegemonic image of an exclusive and neatly delineated state system that brings its unruly fringes under control time and again.
1: Good God, that was a lot of words. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Basically like the way that we conceive of nations states does not allow for new ones.
1: And yet there are?
0: I mean, just so rarely. You know, yeah. it, it requires like real oh, like big... new
1: new recognized ones, you mean. Yeah. Gotcha.
0: So that's for the, the trouble but with
1: that ain't what we're talking about.
0: Yeah, and I mean that's a, from an article where he's trying to talk more broadly about like colonization and all these things. Legitimate like this, this is a question that comes up in political science a lot. Is like, is Israel a legitimate country because they took it from Palestine? And right? mm-hmm. it's like, and then they say back, well, is America a legitimate country because you took it from Europe? And like, it starts this—you know—you don't really know where the bottom is, mm-hmm. so it's really difficult to say. Um, it's in all sorts of international agreements that like, we don't recognize territory gained through force, but all territory is gained through force. Yeah, the whole so world we're, anyway. So we're like, oh, Crimea is not part of Russia. It's part of Ukraine, because they took it uh, illegally. And I was like, well, they took it, <laughs> um, and like everything's illegal. <laughs> everything's illegal eventually.
1: Everything's illegal if you really think about it. Yeah.
0: Um, <laughs> so there are a lot of these little micronations. Enough to keep doing this series for years if we end up doing it. But uh, we'll start with some of the best known ones and some of the most interesting that try. That, like, are good examples of like the various types of them. I think they're like pretty. Well, fall into different categories, of like tax evasion, or like (laughs) um, making a political point, or like uh, indigenous people who Mm you know trying to keep control of their territory they live in. Um,
1: The classics.
0: And then artists, there's a lot of them. Um. Uh. So in a lot of these things, it's we're going to end up referencing the Montevideo Convention of 1933. Um, just not you're looking at me like uh, that's like are we really Um, no (laughs) that it's not hard to get I just want to explain what that is and I probably will like say that at the beginning of most of these which the Montevideo convention defined nationhood as uh, anything with a permanent population a defined territory a government and the capacity to enter into relations with other states
2: Mm.
0: so and then among the convention's provisions were that signatories would not intervene in the domestic or foreign affairs of another state, that they would not recognize territorial gains made by force, and that all disputes should be settled peacefully. The agreement was signed by the United States, Argentina, Brazil, Chile, Colombia, Cuba, the Dominican Republic, Ecuador, El Salvador, Guatemala, Haiti, Honduras, Mexico, Nicaragua, Panama, Paraguay, Paraguay, Peru, Uruguay, and Venezuela, and Bolivia did not sign. Um, But that's, like, the going international agreement to define, like, what a nation is. Um, So a lot of the micronations that we're going to talk about actually, like, achieve most of those, sometimes all of them, and then still get told that they're not legitimate and have to pay taxes. Um. (laughs) Anyway, uh, we're doing Australia stuff to start. So,
1: uh, as a brief interjection here, yeah. for those of you wondering what this other voice in the room is... I didn't introduce you? Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sure most of you listening will know. Yeah. Given that most of you listening know us. But, hello, I'm Faith Schmidt hey. of Jacob and Faith Schmidt. We're married. Yeah. Cool. Um,
0: <laughs> yeah, so th- thanks for for doing the podcast, Faith. <laughs> yeah. Um, Cool. Uh, We're talking about Australia. We're talking specifically about the Hutt River province or Hutt River principality or principality of Hutt River. As of 2017, a 2017 study by Dr. Judy Lattice, I'm being really careful to cite sources. I'm just like people put a lot of work in. Anyway, uh, there are 33 active micronations in Australia as of 2017. So it's a popular place for them. The U.S. and Australia, I think, probably have more than anywhere else. Uh, what
1: tracks that?
0: There's people doing studies, like academics, mm. deciding to look into it.
1: Gotcha.
0: Um, okay, and then I want to mention there's that there's
1: no like like micronation Facebook group or something.
0: Oh, there's lots. Yeah, there's like <laughs> YouTube pages. There's Facebook groups. There's a convention.
1: <laughs> oh wow!
0: It's a convention. like mostly like nerdy kids, like teenagers, getting together to like sh- do little seminars on making military uniforms and stuff.
1: They're government class project, gone
0: too far. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so for this episode, I'm indebted to the Shima Journal, which i will probably reference in future ones of these as well. Um, the Shima Journal focuses on the concept of islandness, aislamiento, and they've taken an academic lens to these subjects. Uh, we're going to approach it a little more casually, but I read their article on uh, the Hot River, pro- the principality of Hutt River, and it's was great. Um, a lot of original research that up I- into stuff I was finding conflicting or unclear reports of other places so good work um, yeah so the Hutt River province um, principality of Hutt River I'm going to pull up a map uh, which you can as well listener if you're as long as you're not like driving or something um,
1: I'll let you know he's typed in Hutt River into Google H-U-T-T-R-I-V-E-R,
0: H-U-T-T-R-I-V-E-R. thanks Faith Yeah, gotcha. I should have this already pulled up for convenience. Um,
1: (laughs) Now he's scrolling through a Wikipedia article. Oh, he's clicked. Okay, so that's where it is. And now we're looking at a map.
0: Yeah. Um, Just so you get a sense of where it is. All right. Near Perth. It's 595 kilometers north of Perth. So about a five-hour drive from Perth. Founded in 1970... Uh, the nearest town to Hutt River Province is Northampton, which is a mining town. It only has about 880 people today. I think it used to have a bit more, but still, this is like pretty middle-of-nowhere kind of place, right? Mm-hmm. nearest town is a 40-minute drive on dirt roads, and it's a t- little town. And then another <laughs> five-hour drive to Perth. Um, the country is 29 square miles or 75 square kilometers, which makes it larger than the Vatican, Monaco, San Marino, Nauru, and Tuvalu. It would be the uh, sixth smallest country in the world if it was wow. recognized. But unlike those ones, it is not recognized by the international community. Um, so, Hut River was started by Leonard George Casley, who will later be referred to as Prince Leonard. Um, <laughs> uh... Yeah, Leonard Casley, born in August, on August 28th, 1925. He was a high school dropout. He then, when he was 19, went to serve uh, in World War II in the Borneo campaign, 1945. You know, uh, that bit. That's when they were getting, like, it's the like, end of the war, one of the last big fights to push the Japanese back from parts of the, like, from Indonesia. Right, gotcha. Um, The British and Dutch still controlled Borneo at the time, so they were called in Australians to help fight the Japanese to reclaim Borneo for the British, Um, and then half of the Dutch half of it would then get decolonized with the Indonesian independence movement. In the next few years, the British parts would stay British until like the '60s when they became Malaysia. Um, We'll do a Malaysia episode at some point. Not you and I, but I'll do it someone. So
1: he fought in a complicated war.
0: Yeah, he fought at the end of World War II in the jungles in Indonesia. Gotcha. Yeah, I guess that's all I needed to say.
1: Yep.
0: Um, so he goes back to West Australia and, uh, I don't really know what he did for, like, his 20s and 30s. It's just the information wasn't easily found online. Um, but in his 40s, he buys a big piece of land, uh, and that had been a had a small wheat farm on it, and he expands the wheat farm. Um, so he and his sons. In the
1: location of what is to become Hutt River. Or yeah. Is it... So
0: this is when he buys the land.
1: Gotcha. Um, in the middle of nowhere, Australia.
0: Yeah, in...
1: plenty of options there. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's like 1967
1: or there's, so. There's lots of middle of nowhere to choose from.
0: This is the part of middle of nowhere where there, you can grow crops.
1: It's coastal mostly.
0: Yeah, it's near the coast. There's a river. Um,
1: oh, is there?
0: Yeah, the hut river, <laughs> um, like, Jabba the, you know, like that hut river. Yeah.
1: are there? Are there two T's in Jabba the Hut? I believe there are. Oh, I don't. I don't know the answer to that.
0: I have to. I'm not going to reach over to the keyboard He's to fact check Google. that. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, yeah, so he buys this from Java, and uh, by 1969, uh, they've put in the work to increase the yield of this wheat farm by uh, t- tenfold, basically. Like, they're getting ten times more bushels of wheat out of the land than their previous owners were.
2: Wow. Yeah,
0: they're like irrigating and fertilizing and stuff. This is the 60s, 70s farm technology has improved Mm -hmm. and it's also like he wants to sell wheat not just like survive i guess he wants to get rich he wants to be famous right sure i mean don't we all yeah (laughs) (laughs) um so here's the problem though so west australia had wheat quotas and this like most sources were just like due to a dispute over wheat quotas and then moved on, and I was like, I want to know what the dispute is.
1: Say, wait, what?
0: (laughs) So I figured it out eventually from, that's from the SEMA article. So in West Australia they didn't want, they wanted to keep the wheat price high so you can't be producing too much because then the price will drop Mm -hmm. um, which will price the smallest farmers out Um, but he's now a big time farmer not a small farmer and so the quota that was established of like, this is the amount of wheat you can produce and no more, and like, we'll subsidize you up to this amount if you don't, if it doesn't meet that, was based on the like historic yield of that land. Oh. And so he's just made this farm way more productive than it used to be, and the government's coming in and telling him, you can't sell that. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so that's where I have a quote from um, Leonard about this says under the this new quota it would have taken 500 years to crop the same average amount of wheat that had been harvested in the previous 20 years. The gross proceeds would not have even paid the interest on the higher uh, on the higher purchase on two four-wheel drive tractors that were in use. This did not allow any return for maintenance of the of the homes or our families, no income on which to survive, let alone profit. Um, so he's pretty upset.
1: But his he, farm is too big.
0: Yeah. He, like, has already paid to have it all harvested, and now he can't, he's not going to be able to sell it to pay the workers and the... Gotcha. Like, pay back his debt on the tractors and stuff like that. Sure. Yeah, he's, he's put a lot of money into his farm, and now he can't sell the results. Um, So they call a family, he, he gets pretty pissed off, calls a family meeting over this.
1: Could, could could reasonably call that a dispute over wheat quotas.
0: Yeah, it's a dispute over wheat quotas. Yeah. But, like, what does that mean? That's what it means. Um, uh, now we all know. Yeah. Um, the Not the first historic dispute over wheat quotas in West Australia, but we'll mention that. Um, so they call a family meeting, and at the family meeting they discuss the law... Um, Oh, this is another quote from their archives. They have, like, a historic archive and of their own history. Um, so, at this meeting, a law was discussed which states that if the economy has been taken and a threat to the loss of the lands exists, a self-preservation government may be formed. It was decided to exercise this entitlement and serve a formal secession notice. So, there's some obscure law that says that, they, that if... If you have no choice, you can secede from, uh, or you can Mm. form a self-preservation government. If you Um, have
1: no choice. And yeah. What what constitutes having no choice? That's
0: for a judge to decide (laughs) later. I have
1: no choice but to secede.
0: Well, yeah, it's not necessarily to like fully break ties. It's to form a preservation government. Hmm. So it's like, we are now our own little township within your state or something.
1: That can have independent rules. Yeah. All right. At no point
0: is Leonard ever interested in leaving the British Commonwealth. He wants to. He's he's a loyal British subject. Um,
1: loyal soldier. Yeah. Uh, he just wants to sell some wheat. Yeah.
0: Just trying to just trying to sell some wheat. Um, <laughs> I just people. I never know what if people are saying wheat or weed. it's
1: some
0: wheat. And I talk about wheat farming a lot, and people often think I'm saying weed farming. I feel like. Anyway. <laughs> um, anyway. A formal notice of secession was. Ser- oh, this is more more quotes from things. I think this is from the SEAM article. A uh, formal notice of secession was served on the 21st of April 1970 to the West Australian State pre- Premier, the Governor of West Australia, the Acting Prime Minister of Australia, and the Governor General of Australia. Um, so that's basically the elected leaders and the Queen's appointed leaders of the state and federal system. Um, under Australian law, the government had two years in which to object. Given that no objection was received, Hut River Province claims to have become a new country on the 21st of April
1: 1972.
0: Wow. Yeah, some someone. So
1: you just like sent a letter with like maybe some addressed it in like messy handwriting, hoping it wouldn't get to the right place. So. That... And then just waited two years.
0: Yeah, I think in the meantime he sells his wheat and just says, you know, (laughs) I don't care. (laughs) Um, But but yeah, he just, no one ever replied.
1: some some back alley wheat sales. Yeah, this is
0: like the, almost like the Air Bud situation of like, there's nothing in the rules that says you can't. (laughs) You know, it's like, I'm just imagining the governor general's pissed and they're like looking through, like the intern or whatever who didn't reply to the mail is like, Like, well, it says here if we didn't reply in two years, like, he gets to keep it. Like, there's nothing we can do at this point.
1: It's like, oh, there's this letter I know I think I was supposed to do something with. Nah, I'll get to it later.
0: He's just been sending it up to his immediate superior for like every week <laughs> for years.
1: Like, nah, nah I'll do it. oh, oh, has it been two years? Oh, oh, whoops. Whoopsies. Oh,
0: yeah. um, and then I have this. Uh, I put a question mark around this because I I could not substantiate this. It was in the article, but it wasn't really clarified. It sounds like... um, Okay, so it says here, two exchanges of correspondence were made with the Governor-General's Department, with the data as required. Following the second exchange, Mr. Leonard Casley was then cordially addressed as the administrator of the Hutt River Province. The royal prerogative states that once this recognition is given, it is binding on all counts." And now this is from their own historic archives. So we're not... I don't know exactly what that means. It sounds like at some point someone replied to one of his letters and used his title he had given himself. And so he was addressed as the administrator of the Hutt River Province by the Office of the Governor General, which he takes to... They take to mean yeah, we're good. Yeah, confirmed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sure. confirmed. You're the administrator of this. Um, it's like when you fill out a form, and uh, like a letter to your congressperson online, you can select like rabbi <laughs> and like it'll get sorted as Prince like, Leonard yeah. well he doesn't prince, prince yet Leonard. he calls himself prince a little later but, uh, but you could do that right like I'm pretty sure if you want Cassie McMorris Rogers to like actually look at your thing you wrote just like call yourself like you can select congressperson as your title <laughs> but you can also pick any military rank or whatever like I'm sure they get sorted differently and you might actually get your stuff read
1: um, sure.
0: But it might be fraud. might be perjury. Who knows? <laughs>
1: who knows?
0: Um, okay, so yeah, okay, this is when Casley declares himself prince in order to utilize the Treason Act of 1495, um, which I read a bit about. It's all in weird. It's like pre-Shakespeare English. Oof. So, um, Which, basically, it says it was based on one of the English Civil War things... Where, if you helped someone who become king, you can't then be treated as a traitor by the next king. Um, it's something that Parliament passed, like as like an early parliamentary thing, because
2: mm.
0: a king from a new family became king and wanted to just execute everyone who worked for the old king, and they passed a law saying like, no, 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 if you worked for a king, or agent of the king of the crown or whatever
2: of
1: like, the previous king
0: yeah it's basically I, the way it's written they think that it says that it protects his family from any kind of charges because he's a prince in the commonwealth administering a piece of the commonwealth and so anyone who helps him do that in that administration is like exempted from being considered for being tried for treason not for, like, other laws. Oh,
1: okay. Sure. Because but, like, they're serving him.
0: And he's the administrator. He's the administrator.
1: <laughs> sure. and
0: he's the prince, I guess, now. Right. Prince Leo. Yeah. Leonard. Uh, prince Leonard. Um, uh-huh. So, a little note about succession, the idea of secession in West Australia. Uh, the state assembly voted to leave Australia in 1933 after the Emu War, um, which, do you know about the Emu War?
1: It sounds familiar.
0: Yeah, uh, this is a note. If you're listening to this and you're curious about the emu war, go find the dollop episode on it. Uh, It's worth listening to. (laughs) Basically, um, there was a wheat quota that was set.
1: (laughs) Oh, no. Gotta watch out for those wheat quotas, man.
0: And then, uh, (laughs) what do you say? Uh, The uh, the farmers didn't quite meet their quota because it was a bad year, and then the government didn't have any money to pay them and the subsidy that they were promised. And then, emus, came, well, part of what made it a bad year, emus came in and destroyed tons of the crops. Oh my gosh. And so, rather, like, the solution here was declare war on the emus and call in the army to just shoot them all with with machine what? guns. So they set up, like, gatling guns and were shooting emus and doing, like, trench warfare against the emus.
1: You can just do that?
0: Oh, well, they lost, too. The emus <laughs> won. <laughs>
1: <laughs> how what <laughs>
0: they just like could not successfully kill enough emus for them to stop just just tearing down every fence and crushing all their crops and stuff <laughs> emus are really hard to shoot they're really dodgy
1: yeah sure they they get they really keep their head in the sand
0: yep and if they and if you they can't, can't s- even,
1: you can't see them <laughs> they can't see you
0: yeah if you can't see the bullets the then power they can't
1: you. invisibility um
0: And then as recently as 2017, the Liberal Party members of the West Australian State Assembly voted to leave Australia in 2017. um, For
1: what? Who voted to leave?
0: The the Liberal Party. So like it wasn't they weren't the majority party at the time. So it didn't happen. But um, there have been two major votes for leaving Australia from West Australia. So it's like,
1: okay, the entirety of West Australia Mm -hmm. voted to leave. Gotcha. Yeah. Um not just Hut River. Not right?
0: Hut River, yeah. Uh for American listeners, the Liberal Party is the conservative party over there. Um so some statistics. Uh Hutt River Province, which later became the principality of Hut River, um, is home to thirty permanent residents. I saw it somewhere else that said twenty five, so one of those. Up to thirty.
1: Probably.
0: Um They've awarded dual citizenship to more than eight thousand people over the last uh what was it fifty years that they've been a, a country?
1: Since the seventies?
0: Since nineteen seventy. So Yeah, it's fifty years now. Wow. Um uh you can get a visa. So like if you go and visit, you pay them four dollars four Australian four Australian dollars for your visa and you get a little tour of uh <laughs> the place. So if you're ever um
1: all twenty-nine miles a week.
0: Yep. Uh, They don't grow that much wheat anymore. Most of their income is from tourism. (laughs) (laughs) But they they turned a lot of it into, like, a nature preserve and stuff. So they basically run this nature park with a campground and stuff. Probably has a hotel. I don't know. Um, But, yeah, if you're ever driving from Perth to Broome, it's a good place to stop on the way. (laughs) (laughs) If Um, you're
1: ever driving anywhere outside of Perth.
0: (laughs) They said that, the website said that they, like, mostly just have backpackers that show up there. These days.
1: Yeah, that makes the most sense. Uh huh.
0: Um, so you can get a visa. Oh, the self reported number of tourists visiting the PHR has uh, been as high as 60,000 a year during the early years of the principality. The self reporting number has since declined to approximately 9,000 a year. But still, $4 a visit, 9,000 a year. That's a small amount of money. <laughs> <laughs> um,. So the they have a small town site. It's called Nine, N-A-I-N. Um, contains buildings for tourism administration. There's a post office, government offices, and an interdenominational chapel, and a five-foot-tall sculpture of Leonard Casley. <laughs> That's a Lou's just no his head.
1: alive, I assume.
0: Uh, he died pretty recently.
1: R.I.P. Prince Leonard.
0: Um, showing Faith a picture of the statue.
1: It's a, a large bust.
0: Yeah, five foot tall bust carved out of native stone to the area, it looks like. They, is he uh, winking? Yeah.
1: You want some wheat?
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> man. Oh, then I had this great quote from one of the people who lives there. That was in that academic article. This is a Hutt River itself has been described as, quote, a stretch of water which flowed like a torrent during the brief winter and hardly at all during the endless summer, which produced flies the size of Honda 50s. What? (laughs) A 50cc Honda. Uh
1: Oh.
0: (laughs) i say that's how big the flies are in the area.
1: Yeah, I'd believe it. Um, (laughs) That's why they wear those cool hats.
0: The corks. Uh, so in 1977, they declare war on Australia.
1: Um, oh, Casley twist. Yeah, just casually drug. mentioning like, yeah. So then they like declared war.
0: Uh, so Casley was fined four dollars for not fil- for not f- filing some paperwork <laughs> with the tax office. Um, he refused to pay his four dollars, uh, said that it was an unjust imposition on him, and he uh, declared war. And then seven days later, he sent his uh, notice of surrender (laughs) um, and willing to negotiate terms. Uh, This is another, like, fun little legal trick, is that under the Geneva Accords, uh, 1949, um, sovereign states are supposed to respect the undefeated surrender of any other. Um, So this is, like, a way to be, like, add another layer of... See, you're acknowledging that we're a sovereign state because yeah. you accepted our surrender, surrender. that was uncoerced <laughs> uh, and then uh, just just a month later in January of 1978 uh, while he was in town running errands Casley was arrested for his tax evasion and
1: for his four dollar tax evasion yep yeah,
0: and he spent a night in jail his son came by and bailed him out and paid the four dollars <laughs>
1: <laughs> how dare he um
0: so then uh okay next real weird hiccup is like in the 80s a new guy named kevin gale is appointed given the title of prince regent and he starts to like buddy up to leonard he doesn't move out to the hut river he lives in the gold coast in queensland um and he helps them mint coins there's like he had connections with a mint there
1: for those of you who don't know, the complete opposite side of this rather large country.
0: Yeah. Gold Coast to Queensland is like a... Sorry, Gold Coast to Perth is like a... Probably like a seven hour flight.
1: Yeah. Probably.
0: Um... Yeah, this guy helps them mint coins. They've got all kinds of coins that mostly... They have like kangaroos on them and like <laughs> Leonard is on a lot of them. Winky. I think he's on the back of each of them. Like the queen is on the, the other money. Um... But uh, so this guy, he, like, builds up this rapport with Leonard, and then he starts... But then he... Leonard starts to figure out that there's something fishy going on and strips him of his title. So he'd been holding these, like, big high-dollar fundraisers with rich people in Gold Coast to, like, raise money for, for the principality. Um, but none of it ever went to them. He was just keeping it for himself.
1: What, wait, what are you raising money for?
0: I don't know for like the legal fees to remain independent maybe. I don't know. <laughs> um,
1: we don't have enough residents to tax to fund our wheat production.
0: <laughs> I, I guess What is
1: this what is this principality accomplishing?
0: Let's be glad. um Let's see. Oh, so Kevin Gale, yeah. So he uh, he dies in 1995 and uh, when he after he dies, his, his like documents are found that reveal that he had been profiting off of it for a long time. He'd done a bunch of shady deals with like re- registering businesses to that address <laughs> to avoid taxes, um, and like taking f- fees from the businesses. And then he also had these plans drafted up. He was plotting a coup to like make himself prince of Hut River, um, and then he wanted to move it to an island in the Pacific.
1: <laughs> just, just up and move this country that they've established.
0: Yeah, first I have to like go and depose, like kick this granddad off of his wheat farm, and then I'm going to move to a small island to avoid taxes. <laughs> <laughs> but I can't stress enough. First, I have to kick this guy out of his house on the other side of this country.
1: The <laughs> age old story. Yeah. <laughs>
0: you know sometimes you just like you just really want to get away you know but first you have to make a huge detour ruin someone else's life and then you can get away
1: and then you can escape to the islands <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> uh okay so there's some legal weirdness other little notes in 2004 they started allowing companies to register in the phr uh, it's definitely definitely fraud seems like a really risky move if you're not trying to get the police invading it and shutting you down right um they've been issuing passports since they started um and they those passports there's a lot of little stories of those passports being accepted um especially uh diplomatic passports
1: like within other countries outside of Australia
0: Yeah hmm. so like they started like giving out passports they'll also like they're giving out um you know if you're the first person from from uh Japan, say, to go and visit them and you're like, I want to get a passport for you, they'll like print you like Japanese ambassador to the Hutt River province. And now you have a diplomatic visa. Like you have a, a passport that says that you're an ambassador.
1: And then you take that somewhere else?
0: Yeah, and then you like you go to France and they're like, here you go and they like, Oh, your excellency like <laughs> right on through. Um All right. Um, It doesn't work as much anymore, I don't think, because it's all digital. You know, and they, like, Mm. scan passports.
1: Especially in Australia.
0: Oh, yeah. You don't even see a human being, like, walk flying into that country.
1: You don't have a physical visa. At least we didn't.
0: Yeah, they made a digital visa, and, like, it just walk up to a camera that takes your picture, and then you, like, walk out of the airport.
1: And you're done. No stamp or anything. How rude.
0: Um... So, PHR Passports. Okay, uh, Australia sent a memo to all sorts of their allies and UN states and stuff in 1985 clarifying that no one should accept passports from the Hutt River, that they do not send ambassadors to the Hutt River, that, like, because there's a lot of Australians that had all had, like, you know, special counsel to the state of Victoria or whatever, like, just, like, these <laughs> little things. Um there was a guy in Lebanon who was just printing false Hut River passports to give to people to, like, you know, get out of Lebanon or, like, get into Jordan or Israel. Like, in that part of the world, there's a big market for having a second passport.
2: Hmm.
0: Israel will, like, at certain entry points will consider you suspicious or, like, not allow you in if you have stamps from jordan or from syria or something
1: and some guy in lebanon was like i heard of this 29 square miles in australia yep how
0: so that way you have your when you're going into israel through any of those entryways you have your hut river passport
1: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> or probably you have your real one and then you use your hut river passport when you're like gonna go to syria <laughs> but i don't know um um yeah so so they cracked down on that um and again got rid of that guy i think lebanon like arrested that guy um and then uh, a big event happened when uh, there's a guy in germany who claimed to be the hut river ambassador to to all of europe in 1996 so the hut river ambassador to the eu in 96 and he was arrested um for traveling on false visa and uh yeah caused a lot of trouble for hut river province that's when australia really got formal about like we are not just overlooking this place like they had to stop overlooking it and like actually
1: sorry back in the 70s we kind of like forgot about this letter for two years and (laughs) our bad really (laughs) Um, (laughs) blame the intern
0: and then my favorite one of these is that there was a boat docked in hong kong that was flagged as as hut river (laughs) Like they had registered. Their-
1: How is this the inf- like the existence of Hut River so widespread? <laughs> I
0: know, and like, um, and just I mean just like the sleaziest people who are like I have like a yacht in Hong Kong and I'm gonna like I don't want to pay to actually have it registered with any real country because <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to obey any laws. Well, the U.S. seized that boat in 1984.
1: Um, The U.S. Yeah, our navy now. All right.
0: Our navy really patrols that stuff. (laughs) Sure. Um. Anyway. Uh. Yes. Those are just some of the little events. We're gonna get toward the end here of Hot River. Bring us to the present day. In February 2017, Prince Leonard uh, abdicates the throne. So. uh,
1: And he was born in like 1925. Yeah. So he's like 90 something at this
0: point. So he got a birthday card from. Queen Elizabeth II
1: wait what?
0: well he's a prince in the commonwealth
1: <laughs> somehow on some piece of paperwork somewhere he's actually registered as a prince yeah Prince Leonard
0: um, and he had been a prince for um, almost you know only like 10 years less than she had been queen or no 15 years or so so it was like you know <laughs> it's a big deal I, think, I think she Leonard. knew who she was writing the letter to It's it's at this point it like been around for so long like it's a known joke. (laughs) Um, So that's when he sort of decides that he's done. Um, Like that's like
1: done. I've done it. I've I've solidified my legacy as much as I possibly can. I've received a letter from the one true queen.
0: Yeah, I mean, he was insistent that they were not leaving the Commonwealth, Mm -hmm. and like that, even if Australia ever left the Commonwealth, he wouldn't. Um, so, having attained, this is a quote from him uh, on his at
1: the, at the young age of of ninety six or whatever the math <laughs> is there, I abdicate my throne.
0: I says, having attained the age of ninety one years and being in declining health for some time, I have decided that the time is right to do it now. Having been the sovereign of our small nation for more than half of my life, a position that has been most rewarding at times and most difficult at others, I feel that. It is time to hand over uh, at a time wait feel that it is time to hand over at a time when I am still around and thus able to offer help and support to my successor as he settles into the position. Crowning Prince Graham the uh, First. Graham had is his youngest son. He'd been a school teacher. Uh, I think in the nearby town.
1: His Pretty youngest sh- son? Yeah. Wow. Would it be Graham? Yeah. Beat out all your siblings for Prince ship.
0: How many siblings do you have? But probably a few. Um immediately the Australian government uh or the the West Australian government uh, realizes that um these guys owe them 3 million dollars in back taxes and they use the abdication as sort of like like the gets their attention and they start looking into it. Um so this is from the supreme court of west australia's decision they said uh anyone can declare themselves a sovereign in their own home but they cannot ignore the laws of australia or not pay taxes justice Rene le said it is not sensible or a proper use of judicial resources to uh to recite and analyze all of the defendants utterances masquerading as legal submissions it's all gobbledygook <laughs> to which prince graham replies we are a fully independent country we don't believe that that the income was earned within the Australian... We don't believe the income that we supposedly are missing tax on was earned within Australia's jurisdiction. Um, and he might have put in an appeal. I honestly didn't look to see if there was a more recent article. Uh, this is 2017. And he said that he was lodging a complaint on the grounds of human rights violations due to the mental torture caused by these repeated court cases. Um, All
1: right. All right so yeah so so three million dollars
0: three million it's like 2.6 to his dad and like half a million to him
1: so somehow this 29 square miles of wheat farm yeah. makes enough money over 40 50 years or whatever that the yeah. taxes alone are supposedly three million dollars
0: yeah it's kind of questionable especially so i reading into it it seems that um casley had like the, for,
1: for all the the road building that that outer yeah
0: it's a dirt road (laughs) it's an unmaintained road (laughs) and uh, uh, what it is is that they say that they actually tracked and paid taxes on all business that they conducted outside of their own territory Mm. so like anything that they, any produce they sold, any like you know paying sales tax when they go into town whatever Um, but that when it was in their own borders they didn't pay any taxes on things so
1: tourism
0: and yeah so this is payroll taxes on their farm hands this is tourism this is like the guy who works at the post office one of the biggest things that people do there when they visit is send a letter home from there <laughs> or um and then have them stamp their passport um but so they're saying like all of those them a new one. yeah all <laughs> those four dollar fees all the t-shirts they sold all the passports um all the, like paying for a title or whatever that, like, apparently there's... And the income taxes and payroll taxes is apparently $3 million worth of those in the last 50 years. All right. But um, I don't think they paid it. Oh, the, the fun thing is that...
1: Dude, this $3 million bill is really stressing me out, man. I'm going to sue you for stressing me out.
0: <laughs> you cannot sue the government for stressing you out <laughs> by having to bring you to court for um, you breaking the law.
1: <laughs> you can't? Are you sure?
0: I don't think it seems so. Seems like
1: Graham the First is doing just that.
0: Unless you're, com- like, maybe if you're falsely accused, which they're saying that. Mm. Um, but the fun thing is, when he would pay his taxes, he would do it in, like, a, you know, every so often. Like, not every year, but every few years or so. And he would, like, you know, f- make it real formal. It was like, oh, here is a gift from our nation to yours. <laughs> uh,
1: so, they didn't pay it, but then they paid taxes later? Um,
0: they would, well, I mean, these are the... No, they never paid taxes on anything from inside their borders. But right. every now and then they would pay their like Got state it. and federal taxes put in the form of like you know, diplom like this like is like a gift. Yeah, this is humanitarian aid in the exact amount that we owed you. <laughs> <laughs> um, coming from our country to yours. And yeah, that is the uh, province of Huff- Hutt River. That's like the origin of micro donations. There's their flag um within Australia uh the 70s is really when this whole concept starts of or I guess in the 60s with Sealand Sealand in the UK Hut River in Australia and then Melosia I think is the one in the US it's like a Chicago literal backyard nation a little
1: a little teaser there for you on micro nation episodes to come Micro, uh, what are we calling this micronation
0: microcast the,
1: microcast
0: uh the we're
1: micronation micro mic- with the Schmitz.
0: yeah <laughs> uh, the goal is at the end of this to do a once we have enough of them to do a micronation madness uh, bracket time we'll figure that out eventually one,
1: one uh, five foot tall winking statue against one large boat
0: yeah <laughs> who wins I uh, haven't decided yet if this is a bonus episode or just more f- <laughs> probably just more free content for now. Um, once people you gotta get them hooked and then we will make it a bonus thing yeah. um,
1: get them hooked on all that wheat
0: um, Faith can you describe the flag of
1: oh yeah alright so so Jacob has typed into no <laughs> it is blue there is a white circle in the center and within this circle there is a golden outlined eagle type creature With a pair of scales dangling from its wings, also golden. Inside the eagle is blue, and he's got a dope hat.
0: Okay, so I thought it was like, yeah, there's like the bird. I think behind the bird there's like a person, like a shaman. And then there's the scales, but the whole thing is like a cow. It's like a head of a bull. You got, like, its horns and its oh, ears. Oh, yeah, I
1: guess I could see that.
0: And its, like, eyes.
1: It's a pretty cool flag. It is a cool
0: flag. I like it.
1: Not one of the worst, anyway.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely not. <laughs> um, it looks cool. It would be hard to draw.
1: Yeah. <laughs> the the pro- okay. provin-, provin... Provin... Prince... Principality. Principality. The
0: Principality of Hut River.
1: The Principality of Hut River, established by Prince Leonard, who did nothing in his 20s... And then started a, a 29 square mile wheat farm, uh, in order to to sell it behind the government's back, and uh, and and really taught the government a lesson about putting putting quotas on on wheat sales, and then uh, uh started a war, uh, it only to, to to surrender seven days later, and then um at the at the ripe young age of, of 91. Uh, received a birthday card from the, the great on high queen herself Elizabeth and uh, uh, decided that he could at last be at peace and abdicated his throne to, to Graham at which point the government of Aust- Western Australia was like you owe us three million dollars and Graham the first not, Le- not Leonard the first only Graham the first Prince Graham the first said uh you're really stressing me out with these bills man i'm gonna sue you for <laughs> mental harm <laughs> and right. then and then that's hut river
0: yeah that was that was hut river and there's that boat and the <laughs> coup and stuff and yeah uh thanks for listening to the show uh there'll be more of them because it was fun yeah. and it didn't take as long to research as others i read a whole article
1: Wow, good job.
0: I know. And not just a Wikipedia one. like a <laughs> I'm one in, so proud of you. One from a journal. <laughs>
1: <laughs> really ramping up to grad school.
0: Yeah. All right. Bye, everybody.
1: See you.